right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. That. You don't got time that. Right? Let's go. Break it. Break it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk here with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and we're going to be joined by Jill Dorsey Hall coming up at 340 on today's show to talk a little KU volleyball ahead of their NCAA tournament, KU women's basketball. We've also got some audio from Ray Bouchard, the KU volleyball coach, and Brandon Schneider, the KU women's basketball coach, to get to you on today's episode of the show. Derek, huge news. Huge news. Was it absolutely massive? World Cup news. related? Not World Cup related. Okay. Today is a national holiday for some people. Spotify wrapped. Come on. That's right. Spotify wrapped is out today. Come on. Which I, I thought that was like at the end of the year. Why does that happen at the end of November? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Spotify wrapped out. Big day. Huge day for the Instagram girls, Derek. <laughs> the Instagram girls. Um, Huge day. Yeah, so we're so, actually what? We're, we're actually doing a thing. Uh, if you go to our Twitter page and you basically just quote tweet, I guess if you just want to reply, you can do that too. Uh, with your listenership on Spotify, whoever has the most minutes for the RCST podcast, we'll give you a $50 gift card to All right, so let's think about this. Big Mill. What is the max number of minutes you could have? We have a podcast. Oh. It's about it's, it's about two hours. Little somewhere around yeah, I call there. about an hour and a half hour and average. Oh, yeah, maybe. I mean, that's what I meant. Hour and a half. Sorry, hour and a half average. Um, times five days a week. Times. Yeah, but there's also some days we miss, right? But there's fifty. Let's just yeah. set it by fifty-two weeks, just to, for the days that are off. We'll do it by fifty weeks. Okay, fifty. So now you're looking times five at five is two two fifty. Yeah, two hundred fifty days. Times an hour and a half. Yeah, so you're looking at like three hundred seventy-five hours, which translated to minutes is over two thousand minutes. No, it'd be that like that doesn't sound right at wait, all. Wait, no, it'd be over twenty thousand minutes. I'm sorry, yeah, that I doesn't that sound right zero. at all. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, I'm I'm not the greatest math guy in the world, but I know that doesn't. That doesn't yeah, it'd be right. like over twenty thousand minutes. So that's like the max that you could have. All right, so Derek, here's the real question: Are you one of the people that likes to see people Spotify raps, or you do, you don't care? You want you don't you don't want to see anybody's? I want to see them if it has RCST on it. <laughs> <laughs> but outside of that, you don't care. Like. It's not that I don't like I don't want it to come across as in I don't care from the standpoint of like I hate you for doing it. I don't <laughs> mind if you do it. Like go ahead, do it. I just am not the person that No, Derek, you need to take a stronger stance. Like on let that. me let me put it like this. Let me put it like this. Okay. Have you because I know for me this is a very clear answer. I don't know about for you. Okay. Unless it's somebody being like, Hey, look how much I've listened to your show. It's like thank you very much. Like I'm very honored by that and I, I love yes, that absolutely. you do that. Like I appreciate really it. Glad great fan base, great show. listenership. Yeah. Um but from the standpoint of if somebody's just posting their Spotify, what's it called again? Wrapped. Wrapped. And it has their top five, top like, ten musicians you know, Drake, that they're listening to. Whatever. Right? You don't care about that? I have never clicked on one of those ever. I have never been like, hey, so this never- person I follow, I'm super interested in who the sixth most listened to artist you listen to. I'm sorry. I just don't. Well, but also, you know, if 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 your top five is like, you know, Drake, whatever, all these other popular artists, like, who cares, right? 
No, I don't. It's again like you can listen to whoever you want. I don't. I don't care like who you listen. To. I'm just saying I have never had the need to be like you know. You I never... really wonder what my pal blank his eighth most listened to musician is. You never thought, year. wow, because no. of that, I'm gonna go listen to this musician. I'm gonna <laughs> no. listen to this song. No. <laughs> but again, send them in. You can win a fifty dollar gift card to Big Mill. So, cool stuff. Uh, last night was Hawk Talk with Bill Self, and at the beginning of it. Bill Self kind of gave an update on some of the injury stuff. Um, you'll hear at the beginning here, he just says he. He's mentioning Cam Martin at the very top, and then he gets into some of the other players with their injuries. So we'll break this down in a second. Here's what Bill Self had to say last night. was the first one injured. He's, you know, separated his shoulder, and we expect him to be back hopefully within the next uh, week to 10 days uh, uh, and possibly play against Missouri. So that would be a goal. Indiana would probably be more of a definite if he doesn't have a setback. Uh, uh, and then Kyle, he's out until probably the end of January. Uh, and, you know, and him even coming back then may not be full speed. Uh, it may be you have to kind of get him back but long before he's 100%. And, and then uh, 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 Bobby tweaked his hamstring, and he will – more than likely, we're, we're hopeful maybe outside shot Missouri, uh, but it's probably a more of a two-week two week type injury in addition to the week he's already set out. So, uh, and, then, and then, of course, Kevin uh, strained his groin again at the very beginning of the game against Tennessee, and he hung in there, but he, he, he wasn't quite right. And, and I, I would think that Thursday would be a real long shot, but hopefully have him back for Missouri as well. Okay, so we can we can go through all these. Uh, the Kyle Cuff one, there's not a ton to go over there. He wasn't as much a part of the rotation. He's going to be out for a long period of time, which is unfortunate for him because, honestly, right now— They could use him. Yeah, they really could, and he would probably be getting an opportunity to earn more playing time with the fact that you have Bobby Pettiford out and even Kevin McCuller possibly out. Um, hey, how much does that Kevin McCuller injury that happened at the beginning of the Tennessee game, does that change your opinion of the Tennessee game at all? Because you got— You've got the situation with Dewan where he fouls out. Bobby Pettiford gets hurt. You're playing over over half the game with no point guard, mm-hmm. and then kind of after the fact, you figure out that Kevin McCuller was also dealing with something he had yes. suffered early in the game. Does that change your out? Does that change your outlook on that on that game? Well, I I kind of made it clear the other day that I said there were a lot of reasons that I kind of was ready to. I mean, it, it's definitely the game it off. matters. Like right, it, it in the standpoint of trying to evaluate what this team is, right? You can't completely clear yourself and say that, oh, well, that game doesn't matter at all because there are some other offensive deficiencies or certain things, rebounding and whatnot. But, yeah, I I am kind of cleansing myself of that game. Tennessee's a really good team. I mentioned the other day, they're third in Ken Palm. They're first on defense. Kevin McCuller only took five shots in that game. So, clearly, it was having an impact on him. He had three turnovers. He went 2-5 shooting. You're talking about your guy who's... Your, your most versatile overall defender. He's going to be one of your top three or four scorers. He is going to be one of your top two or three rebounders night in, night out. Like, he's going to get steals for you. So, yeah, it, it does impact the way I view it, for sure. Yeah, and, and like you said, a, a Tennessee, to me, they're going to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament easily, right? Maybe even a, a three seed or a two seed at that rate. So, mm-hmm. that's, not, that's definitely a very good team, and clearly KU was banged up a little bit. And uh, when you look at kind of how this is how this is trending for Kansas. I think on one hand the good news is 
Cam Martin sounds like he might be back. Bobby Pettiford could be back, right? So those are guys that you're going to get back before the start of conference play, right? Which is a good thing to see. On the flip side, for Kansas, you're getting into three of your, you've got four conference games or four non-conference games left. Three of them are going to be pretty tough, right? So if those guys are still trying to work their way back, you're looking at the, you're looking at the Indiana game, you're looking at Missouri, even Seton Hall coming up tomorrow night. Like These are going to be tough games for Kansas to try to weather through when they're definitely not 100% uh, in, in terms of their team. Yeah, and I am kind of to the point where I'm not really expecting McCuller to play against Seton Hall. But also, I feel like it's one of those things where it's if I'm not expecting it, it's like 30 to 40%. So it's not like I would be shocked if he ended up playing. But that could leave you a bit short. We'll, we'll talk more about the Seton Hall game tomorrow specifically. But it does sound like, at the very least, like he'd be back for, for probably Missouri. So that's a good sign. Yeah. Um, with Bobby Pettiford, sounds like, again, it could be a couple weeks. So uh, maybe Indiana, possibly do you, do Harvard, you just, do you at just, the very least conference play. Do you just shut him down until conference play? That would make sense. So, either way, not going to see him for a bit. And then Cam Martin is really interesting. Not that he's going to be ready for Seton Hall. But because with Cam Martin, we I don't really know what to expect. I don't think anybody does. Both from a standpoint of what it, how, how good is he going to be and what is his role going to look like. I have no idea. Yeah, and we talked about it when actually when his injury happened before the season. We talked about, oh, that takes kind of a guy out of the rotation. Maybe it's an opportunity for these freshmen to get more minutes and actually kind of you know assert themselves as a role. Well, it turns out the complete opposite happened, right? Nobody was able to really do anything at the five position in terms of kind of establishing themselves. So now you look at Cam Martin coming back as, and you're almost you're almost in some sense hoping that he is maybe a savior for the position, right? That he comes in and is able to have an immediate impact because you weren't getting anything from anybody else really consistently at all, right? So that that kind of changes that, that dichotomy of that situation, I guess, because preseason, I think we were hoping that by this point, we were starting to see one of Ernest Uday or Zuby Ejiofor start to, you know, come along a little bit, whatever that might look like, right? And neither one of them have, I don't think, to this point, definitively. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I 100% agree, So which it leaves the door open. It's yes. cracked open for him. Because in the preseason, I wasn't sure that it, if there would be a ton of playing time or role for Cam Martin, but the fact that nobody has established themselves there is as good for, like, it's almost to a certain standpoint, like, good in one way that he hasn't played because he's allowed the other guys to kind of fail in front of him <laughs> to a certain standpoint. Now, obviously, he would have been better off playing, and Bill yeah. Self said today at his presser, like, it's going to take time for him to get back into game shape and to get his rhythm and everything. So I don't know what his role is going to be. But yeah, the fact that those other guys have struggled means that he has the opportunity there. He's the most experienced of the players just in terms of age and how long they've played college basketball, albeit not always at the D1 level. And when you also talk about like an interior scorer, obviously we think of Cam Martin as being a stretch five and he could shoot the ball from the, the five position, which is very true. But he probably has the best back-to-basket yeah. low-post scoring game of any of the centers, too. Yeah, the best polished uh, game in that area. So from that standpoint, it's not crazy to think that he could carve out a role on this team. Yeah, because, like I said, I think we expected at this point one of either Zubi Ejiofor or Ernest Uday to have shown enough consistent flashes to make you think, okay, these guys are going to be having an impact once we get to conference play and whatnot. 
and neither one of them have been able to do that. I mean, Zuby Ejiofor has shown that he can be a strong rebounder and can do some things, right? But offensively, he seems pretty limited. And then Ernest Uday just seems like at this stage right now, he's just very inconsistent. And that's not to say that one of those guys couldn't eventually get to that level where they are consistent and they are showing that, right? But, I, you know, I think you would have liked to have seen one of them show a little bit more up to this point in the season. Yes, 100%. Maybe it'll happen soon. If it doesn't, opportunity for Cam Martin to to take over. Now, if he does come in and he's still not playing over those guys, that would probably not be a good sign. Okay, uh, I did want to talk a little KU football here. One of the aftermath notes from the Kansas State game for me was that Jalen Daniels just looked a lot more like the guy we remembered against Kansas State. Didn't have like a great game statistically. It was under six yards per attempt. Solid, albeit not jump off the page, rushing numbers from him. But he was he was pretty good. It's more just about how yep. it looked, whether it was actually running the football, being able to take hits, scrambling in the pocket. The arm strength looked normal to what we're seeing. I guess what what percentage like do you do you feel like that was close to hundred percent Jalen Daniels? I feel like it was. Mm-hmm. I feel like it was hundred percent. I mean he looked confident, he he ran the ball pretty well when he needed to. He got absolutely hammered when he scored that touchdown and was down, but it ended up being fine, right? Like if he wasn't hundred percent, I feel like that play would have maybe taken him out more than it more than it did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I I think that was a hundred percent or as close to a hundred percent as you could possibly be from a guy, right? And and I think you're right. Even though the numbers don't jump off at the stat sheet from you, just just watching him play and watching his comfort level, it's obvious that he was feeling himself more in that game and and doing what he normally what we've seen him do and things like that. So, yeah, I think if he wasn't 100, percent I guess you'd say he was like 99.5 percent or something. Like he he looked he looked as close to the guy that we had seen in the first five games of the season to that up to that point as he did in that situation. So mm-hmm. I think he was. 100%. Yeah. Yeah, I I I agree. I think that everything just looked a lot smoother. Yeah, it just looked a lot more normal. The guy yeah. that we remembered in the middle of the or, you know, the beginning of the season as opposed to what we saw against Texas, which I think is a great sign um in that looking back all the concerns we did have about the Texas game, like it really does feel like to me it was just about shaking the rust off. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And, you know, it makes sense. I mean, listen, if you're the quarterback, you're the number one guy in the offense and you're out for an extended period of time, like it shouldn't be surprising to anyone that you have some time where you need to get the game to slow down for you again, right? Where you need a little bit of time to – and remember, that's what I was preaching before the Texas game was, hey, cautious optimism, right? Like it's very exciting that Jalen's coming back, but we we don't want to inflate our expectations and just assume that he's going to just flip the switch and be – the Jalen that we saw in the first five games, right? Like, and that's what happened was he, he looked good against Texas. His stats were good, but we, you could tell, you could just tell that he was still not a hundred percent confident. Obviously he didn't run the ball really at all against Texas. So that was part of his game that was missing in that. And another week of practice, another week of the game slowing down, another week of preparation as a starting quarterback. And you saw the result, which was, he was, like I said, back to his old self, basically uh, against Kansas state. And, yeah, I think that's about as good as you could feel if you're a Kansas fan to watch him do that because now you're going to get a ton of extra practices. You're going to get the bowl game, obviously, but you're going to have a lot of time off to prepare for it. 
So there's no question to me that Jalen's going to be coming out absolutely 100% and ready to uh, show us what he can do in the bowl game. Yeah. So it's very and, exciting. And I think that that's where I guess I'm going with this, the fact that you do have the bowl game now where you do have these three weeks off in between, yeah. um, but not just weeks off for him to get even healthier, weeks in between of practice time to further shake that rust off to where... Well, think about how sad it would have been if KU wasn't going to a bowl game this year and you had Jalen come back for the Texas game and he did clearly did not look like he was fully himself, and then you get that one little taste, the one little just nothing, and then you get nothing for nine months. Yeah. Like, how terrible would that have been? No, now we get that kind of showcase game, which which makes the bowl game even more exciting and important. Yeah. Obviously, um, the extra practices and stuff from the bowl game are going to be great too, but I, I, I'm kind of like expecting a very big game from Jalen Daniels in the bowl game. Because Kansas is going to, I mean, they're going to have weeks to scheme things up with Andy Kotelnicki running different plays. Yep. You'll have a healthier version of him, uh, a more shaken, rust-off version of him, back to more of the guy we saw at the beginning of the season when he was lighting up the stat sheet and whatnot. I think in the bowl game, we're going to see a reminder from Jalen Daniels about why he was a Heisman candidate before he got hurt. That would be great because that would lead you to assume that KU is probably going to be in a position to win their game, win their bowl game then, right? If Jalen Daniels is playing at that level, Obviously, they were five and zero when that when he was playing at that level, right? So, so if he's playing at that level for one game in the bowl, you figure that gives the Jayhawks a, a great chance to win their bowl game. Mm-hmm. Is there any other player that even comes close to you about you know how how key a good performance would be in a bowl game? Because I don't I don't think it's just that that I expect it, but it's also that with Jalen, that would be really beneficial to furthering the idea of what we saw against Kansas State was yeah. him back to normal, that if he does play like that, we'd be like, okay, yeah, he's for sure back to normal. Is there anyone else that even comes close in terms of what a bowl game, a good performance in that would do for them? Uh, I mean, you could look at you could look at Devin Neal, I think, as just kind of like a, a great bookend to what has been a really strong season for him. And on defense, Kobe Bryant was just named to the first team all Big 12, right? If he has a big game, he's another guy that was coming back from injury, obviously, or was injured for a part of the season. So one of those guys, you know, maybe having a big game to kind of, again, cap off their season. I mean, I think there are a lot of players for uh, for Kansas on both sides of the ball that probably if you ask them candidly, they would say, you know, hey, I've played pretty well this season, and you'd love to cap that off with one of your better performances right at the end of the year. I mean, you could look at any of the guys on the offensive line, Jared Casey, uh, Lawrence Arnold, right, Quentin Skinner. I mean, any of those guys, any of those guys that have had strong seasons would probably be chomping at the bit to to finish it off with a great game and, and, a, and a ball win. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. But Jalen's definitely the, the 1A. He's, he's the catalyst for if Kansas is going to actually win their bowl game. You Obviously, you, you expect he has to perform well. Mm-hmm. All right, we're going to take a timeout. When we come back, uh, we got some transfer news with KU football with some guys leaving the program. We'll get to that on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. About half past three, we're going to be joined by Jill Dorsey Hall coming up here in less than 15 minutes on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. So some transfer news for the KU football team. The most notable, I guess we'll get to the, I don't know, you want to do the sides first? Uh, uh, sure, yeah. You want to do the main course? Doesn't matter. Well, the uh, the sides, I guess, would be Edwin White, who is a safety who came in the class of 2021. 
He was a top 800 national recruit. I always say in football for Kansas, you get top 1,000 recruits at all. Like That's that's a big deal. He was one of their higher-ranked three-star prospects in the class. Never really hit the field for the team, um, so not like a loss to the two-deep, but obviously a guy that you figured would have, maybe by the time he was you know junior, senior, could have impacted the two-deep. So uh, not ideal losing him, but also not someone that it's going to super impact what you're doing. Shad Dabney was someone who, I want to say he got a lot of playing time last season. Um, yeah. This year didn't play as much. He only played 44 snaps this season. Yeah, and a lot of that was when Kobe Bryant was injured. So he was kind of the second guy filling in for him or kind of filling in when they needed depth in the back half. So, yeah, I mean, that one, I, I, on one hand, I feel like you never want to lose depth, especially in a, in a position like the secondary. Uh, but as you said, didn't play a whole lot and really only came in uh, because of injury when Kobe Bryant went out for however many games he missed. So not not a huge loss there, uh, but you, you never want to see – I mean, you never want to see anybody leave the program. But, but yeah, not, not, not a big one, I don't think, in terms of serious uh, playing time that you're losing with that one. Yeah. I definitely think that – because part of this is a – it's a give and take, right? Like Kansas is going to lose some stuff. They're going to get some stuff back in the portal. Um. I imagine they're going to get a lot on that defensive side of the ball once again, as they did kind of last year. Now, one of the guys you did bring in last year, this is the main course part, part of it in terms of the two deep, someone who who played the most, would be Eric Gilliard, who transferred in from UCF. He was a, a three-year player at UCF. I actually kind of thought he was in his last year this year, but I guess he has one more year. He's going to be a graduate transfer somewhere. COVID year. That uh, all-important COVID year. Makes it impossible to to know what to year people are. I know. <laughs> he uh, is going to be transferring. Thoughts? Well, I think before the season, when you had Eric Gilliard, when you had Craig Young, and when you had Lorenzo McCaskill coming in, the expectation, I think, even from both of us and a lot of people as well, out, kind of from the outside perspective, was, wow, these transfers are going to come in and they're just going to blow us away. They're going to be on the field a bunch. They're going to be making big plays. And for for Craig Young, that did kind of become true. And even Lorenzo McCaskill a little bit more towards the end of the season. But what what we didn't expect preseason was guys like Rich Miller and Taiwan Berryhill to kind of flourish as much as they did, right? And to improve as much from what we had already seen from them from within the program and do as much as they did. So I, I kind of read this as maybe a situation where a guy like Eric Gilliard, he comes in and he was maybe expecting to have a much larger role. And with some of the guys that were already in the program, Rich Miller, Tywan Berryhill, some of those guys, and the way they were able to play and kind of siphon away some of that opportunity from some of these guys transferring in. And Eric Gillard was the one that suffered the most, right? Craig Young ended up being kind of a centerpiece of the defense. And like I said, Lorenzo McCaskill ended up playing a decent amount too. But but yeah, I kind of read that as maybe Eric Gillard came in and thought he was going to have a bigger role and just got you know outplayed or whatever, this, that, and the other by some of the guys that were already in the program. And so he decided, you know what, I'm going to see if I can go somewhere else and have an opportunity to play more. And, and, and again, I think we, we, we had talked about it quite a bit early in the season about how we weren't expecting some of the guys inside the program, the Rich Millers, the Taiwan Berry Hills, to be as good as they were and how that was, a, that was a great sign for Kate, right, that they were developing. But I guess this is maybe one of the side effects of it is you have a guy who came in and probably expected to be kind of a significant part of the defense and then wasn't really or never really became that over the course of the season. And now he's just looking to get an opportunity to try to become that guy somewhere else. Yeah, and so still, this is not losing like a main pillar of the defense. No. Gilliard was was fourth 
among your linebackers in total snaps. He played 255 snaps this season, but that still is somebody who's playing and playing a big chunk. And this is, you know, because last year even, Kansas lost uh, a couple handfuls of transfers. None of them were part of the two deep. Edwin White and Shad Dabney, not part of the two deep. Eric Gagliardi is part of the two deep, and he would have been next season. So from that standpoint, it is losing somebody that you wouldn't necessarily like to lose, not that you want to lose anybody, but also it's not a completely irreplaceable player. Uh, He's someone who is kind of dealing with injuries, and as I said, he was still fourth in snaps. Uh, He's never been known for being like a great cover guy in his time in, in college football, so it's... You know, you wish him your best and and everything. Yeah, he, but he does seem like a guy that could go somewhere and be an immediate, yeah, centerpiece of a defense. Yes. So for Kansas, I'm I'm sure, and yeah, what you said with like Taiwan Berryhill and Rich Miller, like both those guys are going to be back next year. I would yeah. imagine, right? Yeah. Um, I guess hypothetically, you could have taken the third linebacker Scott with McCas or spot with McCaskill gone after he graduates, but also Kansas is probably going to be very active because. Their linebackers have still kind of struggled this year, not to the same level they did in the 2021 season. They're probably going to bring on more transfers and other guys, and maybe other guys emerge, like another Taiwan Berryhill this year, right? So I I guess it makes sense. Um, I'm certainly interested what this means from a transfer portal perspective if this affects KU's recruiting of the portal at all, right? Do you think other coaches view this if there's – you know, a, a transfer who's going to come in and he's being told that, yeah, you have an opportunity for playing time here, and another coach is going to negatively recruit, recruit Kansas and say, well, that's what they told Lorenzo McCaskill and Eric Gilliard. And, you know, in the case of McCaskill, he didn't really start to get a bunch more playing time until like halfway through the season. And in the case of Gilliard, he was fourth on the team and, and snaps. I, I wonder if that will have any effect on that or if it'll just be viewed as like a uh, a thing that doesn't matter because this staff is still at the same point in time, even though they tell recruits like, yeah, you can come in and have an opportunity for playing time. They are very upfront with the idea that we're not just going to give it to you, though. Like, you do have to compete for it. Yeah, that's what I was going to bring up as a counterpoint to that is nobody has been more transparent about kind of how things work within the program than Lance Leipold, right? I mean, he's said it time and time again of, hey, we don't no Nobody is given anything here. Every, everything's earned here, right? So... I mean, I guess if you're if you're an opposing coach and you want to try to take that angle that you're going to recruit, I don't think it it's going to ring hollow for a lot of guys because if they are talking or in conversations with people within the KU football program, they will already know ahead of time that that's not what anybody from KU is saying. That's not what anybody from KU has ever been saying, right, with this staff. It's always been, hey, you're a guy that can help our program, but you're going to have to earn it, right? You don't, you're not just going to waltz in here and automatically get to play just because of name recognition or whatever, you know, whoever you were before, right? you got to prove it again when you come here. So I, that just wouldn't – I think that's the counterpoint that you would certainly point to uh, with from what you were saying is, like, I don't think that would work really. Now, I, what, what's interesting about this is you're right. Does maybe does Kansas maybe try to hit the portal harder at the linebacker position than they previously were planning to with Gilliard leaving, or are they still going to be focusing in other areas? I know we, we've kind of joked around, but also – I mean, it's kind of jokingly, but also very serious of KU should look for a kicker in the transfer portal, right? It's like, on one hand, it's kind of silly to say that, but on the other hand, it, it it's true. They they need or they need a recruiter. They need something, right? So I guess maybe it could impact their priorities, but no, I think from the standpoint of the transfer portal, I, uh, nobody has been more transparent about what, what they expect or what they anticipate from guys that are transferring in than Lance Leipold. So I just don't, I don't see how anybody could 
any other outside team could look at that and try to detract away from KU when they are so open about it, when they do you know, make that pitch to recruits, but they say, hey, everything's got to be earned here. Everything's got to be earned. You know, we're not we're not going to give away any playing time or anything like that. You got to come in here and prove it. So it, it is very interesting, and maybe it does impact KU's, like I said, their their strategy on the portal. But I, I don't know. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a time out here on Rock Truck Sports Talk. When we come back, Jill Dorsey Hall talks a little KU volleyball, KU women's basketball with us. This is RCS Distance. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN, and joined now by a special guest, Jill Dorsey Hall, former Jayhawk volleyball player, color analyst. You'll be able to hear her on the uh, TV broadcasts for the KU women's team, starting with uh, the game against Texas A&M. You can also hear her over the course of the uh, home volleyball matches for KU as well and we bring her on we'll talk a little basketball at the end here but I want to kind of get a preview of of what to expect this week for KU in the NCAA tournament they finished the year 18 and 10 8 and 8 in Big 12 play Uh, what do you view as being the strengths and the weaknesses of this year's Kansas volleyball team yeah thanks for having me Derek this team is really well balanced they've got a sensational setter in Cameron Turner very athletic and they're very physical, bringing on Lauren Dooley, who's the toughest ever Jayhawk actually on the roster in program history. She came in in her graduate year. She's 6'6". Nesca Zabel on the right side. Rachel Langs is, has been one of the best blockers in the Big 12. So they have the physicality there, and they have the balance offensively. Now, can their pins play well enough to get them out of trouble if they have the, the bad pass? But they they have the tools. They definitely do. Unfortunately, they weren't able to get over the hump. When you look at their conference record at eight and eight, there were a lot of five set losses. I mean, don't look no further than the loss against Texas Baylor at home. You get those also on the road at TCU, and the season looks different. And I think their seeding looks different in the tournament. But don't get me – I mean, let's not be fooled here. It's hard to get into the NCAA tournament. So they find themselves back into the NCAA tournament, which is great. And now the cards are dealt, and now you just have to go make it happen. Yeah, I wonder if they just won that one Texas match where they were up 2-0, if, if that would have been the difference of getting at least one of the top you know, eight seeds in, in their region. Uh, last year, though, they weren't seeded either, and they made it to the Sweet 16 after upending Oregon and then Creighton in the first two rounds. Do you see that experience helping them along this season, or are there enough different faces? I mean, most of the team is back, but but obviously, uh, you know, missing a few players. Uh, do you view that as helping this year's team for this tournament? Absolutely. I mean, last year's run, they peaked at the right time last season. They got hot at the end of conference play. They carried that momentum, and they played extremely well first, second rounds, and then I thought they played well against, they just ran into a really juggernaut team in, in Pitt last year in that in that matchup, and they were playing at a high level, but they have the pieces. Caroline Bien last year as a freshman getting that experience along with Cameron Turner. Those are your two two key aspects of, of your team that are getting that experience, and then you have veterans. Rachel Langs, obviously, she's going to want to try to cherish those last couple matches, and you know that's her final season. Lauren Dooley as well. Nesca Zabo has an opportunity to play against University of Nebraska, where she came from. She transferred in. It was a couple years ago, but that's where she started her collegiate career. So it could be a special weekend for Zabo. 
We hear in basketball all the time in the NCAA tournament that, that guards win in March. Is there mm-hmm. something in volleyball that, that would be similar to that? It's funny, Derek. Uh, this weekend I had the Big East Championships up, up in Omaha at Creighton hosting and I actually made that analogy on the broadcast. I said the outside pen, so your left side players, so Bien and El Nadi for Kansas, Ryan Swanson's been playing some as well, the true freshman as of late, those are your guards because those are the players with the ball in their hand the most. The quarterback, I equate that, I mean, if we want to slide in a football analogy, is Cameron Turner, the setter, but your pen players, your outside, your left sides, I think are your guards of the of the tournament. Those are the players that are going to get the most attempts. Those are the players that are going to get the out of system when the pass isn't perfect, when you have to pass it up to them about the 10-foot line, and you expect and you have to get them to get a kill. Those are the players that are going to make or break you in the NCAA tournament. Absolutely. Well, Caroline Bien obviously has been fantastic her first few years at Kansas, but the story of Aya El Nadi this year after missing last season with the injury and and her coming back and being such a force on this year's team, um, what do you think about those outside players for for Kansas this season? And I guess, what do you think the progression moving forward for Caroline Bien is to kind of take that next step? And Carolyn Bien had such a fantastic season her freshman year. She came in as the number 14 recruit in the country, and that's difficult to perform when you're that highly touted, and she did. She's an All-American. She's a six-rotation player. The, the most impressive aspect about her game is her volleyball IQ. She reads the game extremely well. It's very slow for her. She's, she's in the right spit place at the right time she makes a smart volleyball play now can she be terminal can she put the ball away when her team needs it she struggled a little bit this year but again she's had great numbers she's a phenomenal player I mean she's an all-american but your sophomore year oftentimes is a more difficult year and then I all naughty coming back from an injury from a year ago she just plays with such fire and enthusiasm and a love and appreciation for the game coming from Egypt over into to the states to play she's a very smart player herself she's a aerospace engineering major so you know in the you know on the court and off in the classroom as well getting it done and so she plays with such joy. She has an amazing serve, great velocity, so she can really point score for the Jayhawks from the service line, but they're going to need both of them to play at a high level. You can't just win with one of your pens playing well because both of them are six-rotation players too, so they find themselves on the floor the entire time. We're talking with Jill Dorsey-Hall here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Kansas takes on Miami in their opening round matchup. In Lincoln, Miami's the, the seven seed. Is there anything that sticks out to you about this matchup or what Kansas needs to do well to, to get through their first match? When you look at these matchups, these are the matchups that you love. It could go either way. It's a flip of a coin because they're very, they're very similar. They have two common opponents, UNLV and then UCF. Kansas unable to beat either of those opponents. They were able to up in UNLV in a five set. So you look at common opponents. Uh, you know, sort of some similar results, but I like Kansas's chances. I think the physicality of Kansas could be the differentiator here. I think that they have all the tools. I think that they're going to obviously have to play at a high level. Everyone's good in the tournament at this point, but I like the matchup against Miami. I do. I, I think they're going to run into a juggernaut in Nebraska. I had them earlier 
start off the season when they had Creighton, when we had 16,000 in attendance to start off in a non-con match in Omaha. And I thought Nebraska had all the pieces to win a national championship. Now, they lost their last two matches in Big Ten. Now, it was to Wisconsin and to Minnesota, but it was on their home floor. They're maybe reeling. They are losing Kenzie Knuckles, one of their best defensive specialists, and that's a key component. Serve and pass are going to win you games as well in the tournament. So, you know, you, you take care of business against Miami. I like their chances, certainly. They do have a good senior setter. They have some good pieces, but I think Kansas can win that match, and then you say, hey, let's see what, what can happen against a really good Nebraska team. They're going to have over 8,000 in, in attendance. It's going to be a rowdy environment, but it's what you you live for. You live for those opportunities to play with the big lights on and see what happens because Nebraska, they might be downing themselves right now because they lost two coming into the tournament, and they lost one of their key players. She's out for the rest of the season. Yeah, and what you mentioned with the crowd there, um, because you know Nebraska probably the the toughest place to play on the road, I guess consistently. I mean, there would be a bunch of other Big Ten schools you could probably throw in there with you know Wisconsin and Penn State and, and Minnesota mm-hmm. and all these different schools. But uh, the point is, like you said, eight thousand plus fans in attendance there. H- how much does does crowd noise affect things in volleyball? Because we think about it, you know, in football, it could lead to a false start or something like that. Is it is it more about just uh, the crowd affects the momentum so that it makes it even harder to, you know, maybe snap a, a bit of momentum if, if the if Nebraska's playing well or what are some of the biggest things the crowd noise has an effect on in volleyball? Yeah, serve when you go back there and you're on the service line and it's loud and there you can hear the crowd. You've got to you be so intentional when you're on the service line and you have to really focus in. Also too, the volley, volleyball is a game of momentum, right? You see those three point swings and that could be the difference in winning or losing a match, 25-23, 25-22, 25-21, right? And you had a little point in there, middle of the set, where you had three, four points, and that's when the crowd gets going, and they get lively, and that's the difference, right? And so winning the set or losing the set, so the crowd can certainly impact. I've we used to play, when I played at Kansas, we were in the old Big 12, let's say, right, when Nebraska was in, and that was one of my favorite places to play, along with Gregory in Austin, Texas. I love the environment. I love the crowd because they're knowledgeable volleyball fans. Kansas has a great environment, too, and coaches talk about that as well. I mean, Texas, Jared Elliott always tells me every single year, he said, this is always one of our toughest places to play because of the environment, because of the crowd because of just the atmosphere and so certainly nebraska has that they try to use it to their favor but again i'm going to mention they just lost two in a row and i don't that probably hasn't happened and i don't know the stat but i bet it hasn't happened in quite some time yeah quick aside um obviously the new big 12 in a few years you're adding on ucf who's been really good here over the past handful of years uh, Cincinnati was was pretty good when they had uh, I think it was Jordan Thompson on the outside. Yep. You, you have uh, I, I don't know much about how Houston has done lately, and then BYU has obviously good. been uh, an absolute power in, in volleyball. Mm-hmm. But you could be losing Texas and Oklahoma. What what do you kind of in, envision the the future Big Twelve looking like from a volleyball standpoint? I think it got better. It, it, Texas hurts losing them because they're always a perennial power. They've been to the final four. I mean, it's staggering the statistics when you look at some of their stats in the NCAA tournament and how deep they make runs and how highly ranked they are. But then you're adding UCF is always up there. Houston, BYU, Cincinnati, I'd say, is probably fourth out of that list. Houston was ranked in the top 25 throughout this season. 
UCF came into Horace this year and beat the Jayhawks, and they've got a great coach, a great program down there. BYU is always top, so it definitely got better. The Big 12 did. Well, back to the Nebraska matchup. Um, what would kind of be key for Kansas pulling off an upset there? Is there anything stylistically or player-wise that would have to go well and, and could go well for Kansas in that matchup? Yeah, they're going to have to be the aggressor. They can't roll shot. They can't just give me freebies over over to Nebraska. And you're going to have to play with pace, and you're going to have to play with great intention from the service line. They're going to have to be on their game for, from a serve and pass because it's a large gym. It's a large environment. The focus on that, too, becomes even more extreme because, you know, when you play in those large arenas, the ball floats a little bit differently. Your depth perception is a little bit different. So you got to get acclimated really quickly, and the serve and pass can, becomes even more critical. But they're outside. They're going to have to be aggressive and play at a really high level because they're blocked. Obviously, they're very physical. But from a serve and pass, they're going to have to be in system to be balanced. And if they're not in system, then their block's going to be keying on, right, blocking the outside, and it's going to become really easy then to the and Nebraska's a very good defensive team. Talking with Jill Dorsey Hall for a little bit longer here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Zooming out, just kind of the whole bracket uh, for people who are going to be just you know watching and, and indulging in the entire NCAA tournament, which uh, I, how could you not love the, the NCAA tournament in any respect, but it's always great in volleyball as well. Uh, do you have a final four pick or, or prediction on, on maybe who you think wins it all this year? I like Texas from the get-go. I hope they can get it done because Logan Uggleson has been one of my favorite players. She just is impressive, and I know this is her final season, and it would be great for her to end her career. I think they have all the pieces, and Jarrett's been so close <laughs> lately that we'll see if they can get it done. I think the the addition of their libero this year, she's a transfer from yeah. UCLA. She just won libero of the year. Zoe Fleck is, is phenomenal, and I think she adds another layer that they haven't had there that they had been missing. And so I think that's the piece that they needed. But, you know, if Nebraska didn't have the injury to Knuckles, I would say that they'd be there right there as well. But they made, a, they made a run last year. So I think that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how that bracket come, plays out with Louisville and Nebraska on that side. Stanford's been a sleeper. They went into Nebraska earlier this year and beat them. So, you know, I think it's a little similar in women's basketball where you're seeing – you know, the one, two, maybe a three. They don't get super deep when you look at the final four. But there is, there's more parity, certainly. But I think you're going to see those some upsets earlier on in, like, one, rounds one and two, some of those upsets. Well, you also are going to be on the call for the Texas A&M Kansas women's basketball game here coming up. And this is kind of the, the start of a, a tough stretch for Kansas, something that they – Wanted to put an emphasis on this year, making the non-conference schedule tougher to maybe try to get a higher seed in the NCAA tournament. Uh, any thoughts on on the matchup against the Aggies? Yeah, the Aggies come in with a new head coach, Journey Taylor. I think she's going to do phenomenal things. She was SEC Coach of the Year last year at Georgia, and now at Texas A&M. No doubt, she's going to make some good things happen there. They're they're a wonderful program. They're young. They have a phenomenal freshman, Janiah Barker, who is, is sensational, but she's a freshman, and they have quite a few freshmen that play critical roles. On the other side, you have Kansas. That's a veteran squad. They have high expectations. They, they're playing together. They're playing tough. 
it took you know Brandon and his coaching staff a little bit, but I think coaches need a little bit of time, right? He has his recruits, he has them bought into the system, how they want to play Jayhawk basketball, and they really care about each other. There's great chemistry on the team, and they're super fun to watch. And so I think you have a battle here of experience and some balanced scoring. You got five Jayhawks that can that can score. I think you have four of them right now in double digits, and a couple that are just under that. And so it's balanced. Twin is playing at a high level. She's the center, and I think that she's one of the premier centers in women's basketball, and she's starting to get that recognition. But it's going to be a game. I think it's going to be a tight ball game, but it's going to come down to can Kansas experience over, you know, be better than the inexperience of the Aggies in this in this matchup. But to your point, they're scheduling tougher in their non-con, and that is why, going back to volleyball real quick, that is why you're seeing – Kansas, even at eight and eight, and maybe having some hiccups in conference play, their non-con allowed their RPI to be so strong because they won some good non-con games that propelled them, no doubt, to get into the NCAA tournament. So women's basketball looking to do the same thing, trying to get some of those early non-con wins because the Big 12 is going to be a juggernaut for them, like it is in women's basketball and women's volleyball. And that's great. You love that your conference can help you with your RPI and not hurt you. But both of them are, are looking to forward to those tough non-conference games. And you love it when you play a former foe in the Big 12, too, right? Texas A&M coming in. I know their team has talked about how excited they are to play in Alice Fieldhouse and just the tradition with the big lights. So grab a ticket. Come into Allen Fieldhouse. It, hopefully the crowd shows up because this women's team is really fun to watch. Yep, and uh, you can come on by Allen Fieldhouse tonight or you can watch it. Uh, with Jill on the broadcast. Jill, I appreciate the time as always, and uh, have fun on the action tonight. Anytime. Thanks, Derek. That was Jill Dorsey-Hall joining us here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Four o'clock hour here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. If you're looking for the perfect destination for your next social or corporate gathering, Venue 1235, a large climate-controlled event space with a catering kitchen, private suite, and a covered patio has you covered. They're located right off I-70 and five minutes from downtown Lawrence. A bunch of uh, Big 12 news to get to here. The first is the Big 12 Football Awards, which just came out. Literally, like, what? Right like right around right the, the start of the show, of the right? show. Yeah. Now, um, I've actually seen some brushback from... Some uh, K-State people, you'll never believe that, wow, about Jalen Daniels being second-team All-Big 12. Um, oh, I thought they'd be mad about Deuce Vaughn. Being second-team as opposed second to first-team? Team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, Offensive Player of the Year, Max Duggan. Defensive Player of the Year, Felix Enudike Uzoma, or however you pronounce it. Offensive Newcomer of the Year, Dylan Gabriel. I don't want to go through all the awards, but um, yeah. here's yeah. the Kansas players on there. There was only one Jayhawk on the first team. If you would have told me before these awards came out there's only one Jayhawk on the first team... I probably would have guessed either, honestly, Mason Fairchild or Mike Nowitzki or Dominic Pooney. Yeah, I think Fairchild has a good argument just because of the amount of touchdowns he had, and he had made a lot of big plays for KU, right? And obviously, we were just talking off air about KU's offensive line, actually, in the sense that when you don't talk about the offensive line that much, they're doing a great yeah. job, yeah. right? They're doing a great job. And the offensive line has been... You know, hardly a discussion at all because they've been so so good this season, right? And Mike Nowitzki is the leader of that offensive line. 
Dominic Pooney's obviously had a great year. Earl Bostic has been pretty solid as a as your uh, anchor at tackle, right? So any one of those guys, I think you could have maybe made, made the argument to push in there. It's just so hard with offensive lines, though, right? Because, first of all, it's a unit, right? So when you operate as a unit like that, it's kind of difficult to say, okay, well, this one guy is the best one, right? Because if you were to take the first-team offensive line and put them together, that doesn't mean they would be good, right? Because of how much right. it is chemistry-wise, mm-hmm. you know? So it's tough to say, to, to point out one guy and be like, oh, well, this guy's the best uh, the best offensive lineman. Yeah. It's almost like you could do like they do for the award, which is instead of giving it, they just give it to like the best offensive line yeah, in like the country, the best like unit. the national award, right? Yeah, like the best unit. But yeah, it, it ended up being, um, and, and when I said that about if you told me there was one all Big 12 first team, it's not that I didn't think this guy was deserving. I just, I thought this guy would be either honorable mention or second team, uh, Kobe Bryant. And the reason why a little surprised on the first team is he's made some big plays, had a bunch of big interceptions. There's also been times, like I think to the Oklahoma game, where they were kind of attacking him on the outside. But overall, great season and uh, well-deserved for some of the big plays he's made. For sure. And that's cool because, I mean, you're talking about a, a true sophomore in Kobe Bryant. Yeah, and, and a guy that really quickly emerged as kind of this flashy playmaker, right? Like, I don't think in the preseason he was really that much at the forefront of people's minds as someone who could come, who as someone who could be like this kind of ball hawking type big time player. He gets the kick, uh, the fumble, if I'm not mistaken, the the blocked punt return for touchdown against Tennessee Tech to start the season, and then he gets the the pick six, obviously against West Virginia, which that caught a lot of people's attention as whoa, you know, winning the game basically for for KU at that point. So, yeah, uh, I think yeah. well deserved as as a guy who's a really aggressive corner uh, and makes a lot of plays and really had sort of a breakout season, and I think. Certainly well-deserved. And for him to do that, too, even battling through the injury. Exactly, yeah, cool missing, missing a couple games with injury, yeah. Uh, Jalen Daniels got second team, as I mentioned, which speaks to how much I think the coaches realize how good of a quarterback he is, yeah. despite the fact that he missed, what, four games, five games? Yeah, yeah. I mean, four and a half, whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, because it was games seven through ten, and so then he missed, So he, he was four in and for half. the second half yeah. of the think about that. game. He only played seven and a half games, and he still earned all Big 12 second team. That is pretty impressive. I mean, if you want to talk about respect from other Big 12 coaches, that is it right there. Other players on the list, Mason Fairchild did get second team for Kansas. I wonder how close of a vote it was between him and Jatavion Sanders at first team. Sanders, a little better receiving numbers. I don't know how good Sanders is a blocker. Fairchild's made big strides there this season. Uh, Also on the second team, Mike Nowitzki, second team center. That was, I think, feel like kind of expected over the last few weeks. Yeah. Lonnie Phelps, second team as a D end. Again, not really a huge surprise there. Uh, here's their honorable mention picks. Earl Bostick, makes sense. Kenny Logan, which he was preseason all first team. So yeah. He, yeah. he, I think, ended postseason first team last year, but didn't maybe, he had a good season, but not. Yeah, he, he had a strong season, but I think. It wasn't like, when like you look that at, all-American level season we we. Yeah. thought that could happen. Well, and like when you compare it with like what Kobe Bryant did, and, and Kobe Bryant had a lot more flashy, yeah. impact, big-time plays, right? Plays that really caught your eye, plays that, that impacted games significantly. And I think Kenny Logan was more of the the stalwart, right, guy who you knew you could rely on in the secondary, but maybe didn't have as many big-time impact plays that jumped out at film at you that maybe you would have expected in the preseason, right? But that's not to say that he, he still didn't have a solid season, right? I mean, he was still one of your most reliable defenders on the back half of the defense, so yeah. certainly uh, deserved as well. Uh, Devin Neal which I personally thought he could have made the second team, but it's it's just hard. Yeah. See, on the first team, you have you have two running backs on each team. Yeah. Bijan Robinson, right, makes sense. Kendra Miller, who had over 1,200 yards and 16 rushing touchdowns. 
So it's hard to compare. Plus, on a team who won the conference and is undefeated, it's hard to say Devin Neal should be ahead of either of those two. Deuce Vaughn, Kansas State on the second team. Eric Gray, who I would personally argue Devin Neal over Eric Gray because... But but here's the issue. Eric Gray had 1,300 rushing yards. Devin Neal had like 1,050. Yeah. So it's it's not like crazy to say, oh, I'm going to put Eric Gray on there. The reason I would put Devin Neal above him is I think he means more to the offense than Eric Gray does. And also, Oklahoma runs a billion more plays than Kansas, so it's going to be easier to rack up more yards. Nonetheless, though, that's not like crazy. How about this, though? He did receive at least one vote for Offensive Player of the Year. Devin Neal. Yeah. Wow. Which is crazy I mean, that your honorable listen, mention, but you down did that. the stretch. I mean, you consider the Oklahoma State game, you consider Texas Tech, like he was uh, one of the critical pillars of the offense, certainly. At Who do you think gave season. him that vote? Like of the Big 12 coaches? Yeah. Was it maybe, Mike Gundy? Maybe Mike Gundy. Because he ran over <laughs> maybe him. He saw, maybe Mike Gundy saw what he did and was like, I'll vote for that guy. Yeah. Because I can tell you one thing Mike Gundy certainly didn't vote for Dylan Gabriel, right? No, that's for sure. Yeah. That's a good point. <laughs> but I think with the Devin Neal situation, it's it's one of those like, if you're a Kansas fan, the knee-jerk reaction is, oh, he got snubbed. What mm-hmm. is this? This is BS, right? And then you kind of take off the Jayhawk fan glasses a little bit. And, and you see, <laughs> Oh, there's a lot of good Yeah, Yeah, exactly. You see, obviously, you figured Bijan Robinson was going to be on there. Kendra Miller had a great year, plus being on TCU. Deuce Vaughn, obviously, is extremely talented. Like, it's not it's not a knock against Devin Neal at all that he was honorable mention. It's just a, the Big 12, as we expected coming into the season, has some really talented running backs, right? And you consider Eric Gray as a transfer from Tennessee, right? And then you throw that in there and... And, uh, yeah, I, I think it's – on one hand, it's like, a, oh, you're just, maybe a little disappointed you hoping he was going to be on the second team. But I think it just speaks more to the quality of talent of the entire conference, right? Because, obviously, from the Jayhawk perspective, if you've been watching Kansas, you know how good Devin Neal is, right? And you know how much he beats to this Kansas offense. But maybe if you're a coach and you're looking at the rest of the league and you maybe aren't watching Kansas closely every single week, you might look and say, oh, okay, well, Eric Gray, you know, obviously has the stats and the great numbers and vote for him over, over a guy like Devin Neal. Lonnie Phelps got beyond being second team. He got a vote for defensive newcomer of the year, defensive lineman of the year. And then Dominic Pooney got a vote for offensive newcomer of the year and honorable mention for um, offensive line. I, I honestly. Yeah, I mean, those awards are so tough because, like, if you have a quarterback as a newcomer, he's already a shoe. He is. <laughs> you know? He gets more, more hype. Exactly. With Pooney, I think you could really make an argument that he is KU's best offensive lineman. So, from that standpoint, I would have put him on at least the second team, but I do understand with Nowitzki, he is, you know, with the center, you're doing other things as part of that where yeah, it's not and, just and about the blocking. Nowitzki is clearly, you know, the, 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 the leader, captain, right? the yeah. leader of the, of the O-line for sure. The one name that is missing here, because you can go through and you can be like, well, I would have thought maybe Luke, like Luke Grimm, if you look at Pro Football Focus, is one of the five best receivers in the Big 12 but also didn't have the stats for it. So, like, you can understand why he didn't get voted there, even though yeah. maybe even, it wouldn't have surprised me if he Lawrence, got, like, honorable mention, Lawrence right? Arnold, right, probably exactly. had better Lawrence stats Arnold. than Luke Grimm. Um, I, I think Grimm had more catches and Arnold had more yards. I don't know what – probably Arnold had more touchdowns. And then on um, the defensive side of the ball, like, you could have said – I would have thought Craig Young might have got, like, an honorable mention nod or something like that, like – he did a lot of different things, but I also wonder if other coaches fell into the trap of like, what do I vote this guy? Do I vote him as a yeah, linebacker? Do I vote him as a, as a DB? And he's like, just don't worry about it. You know, Nickelback. But the one guy that I'm I'm very surprised is missing, at least from honorable mention, is Jared Casey. Yeah. I know it's it's the the Jared Casey story, and that makes him a fun thing to talk about. It's it's more than just the fun thing of the guy who caught the two point conversion against Texas and is in the Applebee's commercial. This dude is a baller. He is. 
It's hard to say he's the best blocker on the team because realistically, even if he's grading out better in certain blocking areas than other players, like an offensive lineman just in general is a bigger guy and better at blocking. But in terms of executing the block that they need to do, you could argue he is the best blocker on the team. You could argue he has the best hands on the team. He has made big catch after big play for this team on key downs against the opposition I think you could argue he's just as good as Mason Fairchild, who was second sure. team All Big Twelve. Yeah. I personally would have put him. I mean, they only have one tight end on each team, so I understand why you'd go Sanders and Fairchild. But the fact that he didn't even get an honorable mention kind of sucks to me because I thought he deserved it. Yeah, this again kind of feels like a similar conversation as with Devin Neal, right? Whereas if you're a Jayhawk fan and you're watching KU, you know the impact that Jared Casey has, both as a receiver and as a blocker, right? I mean, it, it jumps out at you immediately. Right, but obviously Mason Fairchild has more of the stats. He got more of the touchdowns, especially early in the season. They had and they, and they had, Mason Fairchild had that connection with Jason Bean as well, right? But but yeah, absolutely. There's no question. I think if you ask any Jayhawk fan on the street, you know, hey, which tight end is better? Uh, you'd probably get a 50-50 split between Fairchild and Jared Casey, right? I mean, they're both really really talented guys. They both have made significant impacts for KU this season uh, on the receiving side and as well on the blocking side. So I think this is another one where. Fairchild had the better stats, right? So that probably drew the attention of some other coaches who maybe haven't specifically watched Kansas that closely all throughout the season. But, yeah, there's no question that these two guys both, in terms of their value to this team, it's very close, one and two, between which guy is more valuable and which guy has bigger impact because of some of the other things that Jared Casey does. And and I think I also think Andy Kolnicki has done a fantastic job of drawing up plays specifically to get Jared Casey out because I think some teams throughout the season have still kind of viewed Jared Casey as – Oh, you know, he's just this H-back, fullback type mm-hmm. guy. It, you know, he can't really do anything. He doesn't really catch the ball or whatever, right? And then you see him on a wheel route on a yeah. play action, and he's wide open, and, and he outran the Texas Tech defense <laughs> for the touchdown. I mean, my well, goodness. That's what it is, too. It's like every big play, and you go to him on a catch, he comes through. Every yes. big run you have where it's like, hey, that was a 20-yard I mean, run, and then they show the replay, and it's like, three, oh, Jared down. Casey sealed the edge. Yeah, and I can think of two or three fourth-down plays where he made the catch or made the critical block or whatever to, to help Kansas convert, right? So... There's no question that his impact was very significant. And again, I think when you, it just comes down to looking at the stats, Fairchild was a little bit better in that area. But there's, like I said, I think any KU fan would definitely say that those two guys are really, really close or of equal impact for Kansas on offense. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. So that, it is a little disappointing. But, uh, you know, the, the other thing is, I don't think Jared Casey is the type of guy that's going to care. No. <laughs> and he's still just a sophomore, so he's going to have opportunities to, to make that team at some yeah. point you know, in a year or two down the road. Uh, I do want to get to some other Big 12 stuff. How about this coaching news, possibly? Well, I guess this one from a current head coach, but um, West Virginia has a new athletic director, Ren Baker, and this according to Brett McMurphy, the belief is that Coach Neil Brown will return next season. I thought he was, like, for sure gone. Yeah, after the Kansas game, right, the general consensus was, see ya. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Honestly, though, I think that's a good thing if you're Kansas. Yeah. Like, clearly this guy has struggled at West Virginia. Last well, and, thing you want is them hiring some good up well, and young. Okay, you know. and West Virginia is such an interesting place because on one hand, if from the West Virginia perspective, you're like, oh, we're West Virginia. You know, we're generally mm-hmm. a pretty decent team in the Big 12. Like, we should be a pretty attractive coaching destination. On the other hand, you're in Morgantown, West Virginia. <laughs> like, dude, who wants to go there? No offense. I mean, if you're listening from West Virginia, whatever, fine. But, like, I mean, seriously. <laughs> is Willie Fritz really going to go be the next coach of West Virginia? That'd be interesting. <laughs> but, no, now we don't have to worry I'm about just, that. I'm That's just great. saying, like, like, I'm just saying, you know, like, uh, there are there are destinations because of the programs and there are destinations because of, you know, 
where they're at, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, it's West Virginia, guys. How about this? I don't want anybody tweeting me that West Virginia is whatever. I don't want anybody getting Country mad Rhodes? at me about West Virginia. Uh, okay, so Deion Sanders is apparently deciding between either staying or deciding between three different schools. Colorado is the one I've seen the most. One of the options, though, is Cincinnati after they lose Luke Fickle. That would be very interesting. I think that would be great for the Big Twelve, would it not? I mean, the PR oh, yeah. would be the PR would be huge. Yeah, I don't I don't know how I I, I don't know what it would look like at Cincinnati, but like, yes, that would be you're right. It would be big for the Big Twelve. I also think it would probably be bad news for the Texas schools that are in, like TCU specifically, because they're in the Fort Worth area. That's where Deion Sanders... could probably out-recruit those schools. Yeah, that's where Deion Sanders was before he took over at Jackson State. He was coaching at, at one of the top like high schools in the Dallas area, and um, when TCU opened the job last year for Sonny Dykes, like, there was a push for Deion Sanders. He has a lot of connections there. He obviously played with the Cowboys. He would probably <laughs> get a lot of the good kids out of the area. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look at what he's done recruiting-wise just being at Jackson State, right? Like, his his personality clearly yeah. attracts players. And and I want to say maybe about a month ago or so, maybe a little bit longer, two months ago or so, uh, 60 Minutes actually ran a story about Deion Sanders. And for someone like me, it was incredibly fascinating because, you know, people like you and I, we're a, a little on the younger side. You know, maybe we don't necessarily fully appreciate sort of the, the pizzazz or the, 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 <laughs> the draw of prime time, right? And that story that I, I watched it, it was incredible, right? Because it also sh- kind of showed that, you know, this is a real guy that really is truly very passionate and wants to be successful at every level that he's at, whether it was playing, whether it's coaching. Like, this is somebody that certainly would be a good hire for a big program, too, because he's somebody that, I mean, look at what he's done at Jackson State and, and what he's done in terms of drawing attention to that HBCU level of, of college football and things like that. and. And, I mean, he's just a phenomenal personality. I mean, he's definitely a guy that if you're a, a major school, you would probably have some interest in, right? So it's not shocking that Colorado or Cincinnati or some of these other schools uh, are, are interested in him or want him to be the next head co- next head their next head coach. Yeah. It would certainly be fascinating. Okay, I do have – this is just kind of like a mashup segment, I guess. Uh, how about this? I, I totaled <laughs> up all the different sites I could find that do bull projections. I found 10 of them. Okay. CBS, ESPN, Yahoo, 24-7, Athlon Sports, USA Today, Sports Illustrated, Sporting News, Action Network, The Athletic, and <laughs> totaling them all up, okay. four of the ten have them playing in the Liberty Bowl, and of those four, two of them against Missouri. Boo. Three of the publications have them playing for the First Responder Bowl, which would be on December 27th. One of them... That that's the one. Is that the one in Phoenix? No, that is the guaranteed rate. I think first okay. responder might be in. Is that in Texas. Dallas? Is two of it, those right? There's Dallas. There's Fort Worth. There's Phoenix. Yeah. And there's the Texas Memphis, Bowl, which is obviously Houston. yeah, and yeah. Then, and then and then uh, Memphis, Memphis for the Liberty. Yeah. Um, of the first responder bowl, two of them have them playing BYU, which that would also kind of stink in the same ilk of Missouri yeah. that you're going to be playing them soon. So yeah. I wouldn't really want that. Yeah. Uh, two of the ten publications have them in the Armed Forces Bowl which would be the one on December 22nd in Dallas. And then one of them would have them in the guaranteed rate bowl, which that's the one in Phoenix. Okay. You know what this tells me, Derek? Hmm. Nobody, Nobody knows. knows. <laughs> Nobody knows. Wow, what a shocker. Nobody knows. Uh, wow, I would have never guessed that one. Wow, nobody knows. That was kind of Crazy. my takeaway, too. It's just split up so much. <laughs> All right, I, I have a real worry, though. What's that? I'm worried... What 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 worries you, Derek? That Kansas is going to play Missouri in the Liberty Bowl. Okay. And 
Kansas plays at Missouri in basketball soon here. Okay. I was looking at because Missouri won last night in basketball against which against the bad Wichita State. Yes, Wichita bad Wichita State's State not team. Very good this year. And Missouri has not really played anyone in basketball, so it's hard to get a great read on what this Missouri team is. But they are ranked 37th in Ken Palm right now. They are 8-0. They have the 13th Ooh. best offense in the Ain't country. No. Ooh. They're shooting 63% on two-point shots. And I was looking, and I go, what is Ken Palm projecting this game to finish in Columbia? And it has Kansas only winning by one point. So you're going to sit there I and worried. tell me that you're worried that Kansas is going to lose to Missouri in basketball, yes. and then they're going to lose to him in the Liberty Bowl. Correct. That's what you're telling me. Please, please bring me down from the ledge. First of all, Kansas owns Missouri in basketball. They beat them by 100 in their whatever it was at Allen Fieldhouse, right? So, <laughs> are you kidding? You're you're worried about Kansas basketball losing to Missouri? Please. Also, second point, I've already told you, I don't want Kansas to play Missouri in football. <laughs> I don't. It's, it would be terrible. But give us a fun bowl matchup. I don't want to see KU play Missouri in a bowl game. Plus, I would be very stressed. I would be terrified. I want to choose happiness, Derek. If KU's in a bowl game and they're playing Wyoming, pff, I don't care. It's <laughs> Wyoming. If they win, great. If they lose, I'm going to be happy they're in yeah. a bowl game. If they lose to Missouri, oh, I'd be crushed. Okay, crushed. If, hypothetically, and then we have to though, wait nine months for more KU football. Oh, let's say they do get the bowl matchup. Let's please. say they do get the bowl matchup with Missouri. If I could guarantee you right now that they would beat Missouri in that bowl game by 40 points but they had to lose the basketball game. Would you take that trade-off? I think I would. Okay, but it would depend on would they lose like a close game against Missouri in Columbia? Sure. Okay, yeah. then I would take that. I would take that 100%. Yeah. That 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 stretch. Because. In, but Okay, I, wait, okay wait, listen. On. I understand that the game is in December, and I, my mantra is November games yeah. don't matter. November plus first week of December <laughs> games don't okay, matter. But, but you realize. What? What all do I realize? All your worries about playing Missouri in a possible bowl game, all your anxieties about how you I have a lot of anxiety up, about it. Imagine how much that anxiety would double or triple no, if I you saw them lose in basketball, and now you're like, no, they're going to sweep us. Oh. The next, for the, the like two well, weeks. Well, no, because you just guaranteed me they were going to win. But you don't know it in your head. <laughs> You you like basically you accept the deal. This guy shows up to your door, really shady looking character. Men, men in black. The deal. Yes, and then he does that, and you, you forget. So now <laughs> the two week stretch between Kansas losing in basketball and when the bowl game is, you're gonna be like, oh, I would be out even more. I would I would not be able to sleep. So would you still take it, Mizzou Tiger, whatever the name of their Tiger mascot? He'd be haunting my dreams. Would you still take? I'd be the terrified. Deal? I'd have to sleep with a nightlight. <laughs> Answer the question. Yes. Okay. I would take the deal. Uh, he's an experience. Listen, if they lose the basketball, if they lose it to Missouri in basketball, I'll be in deep pain for until they play the next game. So mm-hmm. Indiana, like a week, right? Because because November games plus December games don't matter. But if they lose in in, in the bowl game, I gotta be in a deep pain for nine months. Yeah, I wouldn't survive. <laughs> I would not survive. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This uh, is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. We're going to get to our uh, college basketball breakdown coming up next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We uh, have KU Women's Basketball on the air tonight. and We're going to share for you Brandon Schneider audio Coming up in our next segment, ahead of their game against Texas A&M. It's a big one over at Allen Fieldhouse. 
Uh, some sad news that came down earlier today, and I, I'm going to try to get David Lawrence to come on the show later this week because uh, David had a, uh, a a good relationship with with this player, John Hadle, former. I mean, you could seriously make the argument that John Hadle is the greatest Kansas football player of all time, um, and I'll get to that in a second here. But I think he was David's offensive coordinator, and he also, you know, would have interacted with him in his time and you know fundraising for the university and and just being around David and stuff. So uh, we're gonna try to have David on later this week to kind of reflect on on his time both as a man around the university, what he meant to the program, and in terms of uh, how great he was as a player. Because, I mean, you're talking about a, a Lorenzian through and through. He was Lawrence-born, went to Lawrence High School, went to KU, and then became a professional and then decided to come back to Kansas after that, after spending all that time in San Diego. And the reason I say you could make the argument he is the greatest Kansas football player of all time, you're talking about a guy who was... I mean, through the time that he finished, he was the greatest Kansas quarterback of all time. Now, I know a lot of people would say now, well, maybe it would be David Janes because he was your one guy to finish top five in the Heisman or Todd Reesing or, you know, who knows, maybe Jalen Daniels in a few years. But certainly, if you're having a conversation about the greatest quarterback in Kansas history, John Hadle is on that short list, and you could make an argument that he is the number one guy with obviously the, the game being very different at the time. He was also an All-American level halfback, and he was also an All-American level punter. So as a sophomore in 1959, because remember you couldn't play as a freshman, he led the NCAA in punting, and he had the has the which this still stands the longest punt in KU history, 94 yards. He also <laughs> played defense and had a 98-yard interception return, which stood as the longest in KU history until 2007. And then his junior senior years was halfback and quarterback, and in those seasons, Kansas went 14-5-2, and and they won their first ever bowl game. It was the 1961 Blue Bonnet Bowl. So, seriously, one of the greatest Kansas football players of all time. Now, I know there's a lot of other good players, if you're saying the greatest, with, you know, from Gale Sayers to John Riggins to Aqib Tlaib, Todd Reed. Like, you have a lot of other great names, but he is certainly on that short list. And uh, a Jayhawk through and through helped the athletic department in so many ways as a fundraiser and cared about the university and being a Jayhawk so much. So we'll try to get more on it because obviously I, you know, I didn't grow up watching John Hadle. I didn't uh, have a relationship with John Hadle. So we'll, we'll try to get that with uh, David Lawrence later this week here on the show. Uh, switching gears from that, we have our KU offensive notebook for the game against Kansas State on Saturday. Something we kind of talked about in the open. Jalen's back. Jalen's back. Yeah. Jalen is back. Guess who's back? Back again. Jalen. Jalen's back. Tell a friend <laughs> Jalen's back. Jalen's back. I hope I don't get sued for that. Can I get sued for that? No, it's parody. Um, it's fine. I don't think you can. I should get sued for how awful it was. But <laughs> nonetheless, uh, everything looked back to normal for him. He was running the ball. That was the first drive of the game they had on offense where they actually ran the quarterback and ran the option. It was, was phenomenal. It was, and it was like, oh, thank goodness this is back. Going back to our conversations we had from the Texas game, because we, we said all the different scenarios. We said, well, it could just be that he's not healthy enough to run it and they don't want him taking hits. It could be a him personal thing that he doesn't want to take hits. It could be a, hey, they got down so early so they didn't want to show it on film at some point. It could also just be that they were shaking the rust off and they didn't know if they could do it. 
I don't know which of those it was, but I'm kind of thinking it was a combination of things that yeah. it was his first game back. They wanted to make sure he was healthy enough to get through it. But also once they got down, they were like, let's just save this on film for K-State. But that just that element changes so much of this offense. And yeah. you saw it in that game. I know 27 points is not like a huge number. Kansas State's one of the best defenses in the conference and in the country, and you could have put up even more than that, yeah, right? You, you left the, points on the field. For yeah, sure. yeah. You have the what drop two point conversion, um, couple of decisions not to go for it. Yeah. So I mean, overall, I think you have to be pretty impressed with the performance that he had, even though statistically it's not going to pop up as one of his better ones. No, I hundred percent agree. I think considering what had happened with Texas and some of the. I don't know if question is the right term, but just some of the trepidation we had about Jalen and, and if he was going to shake the rust off or what it was going to look like. Because, you know, going back to like with Jason Bean, Jason Bean obviously brings that capability as a runner to the offense for Kansas, but we, we saw it every week. The, the option game specifically was just not the same, right? It just, it just wasn't, right? Jalen brings another level of, of vision, another level of confidence to running that, and we didn't see it against Texas either for whatever reason, like you outlined. And for it to come back and to be effective immediately with Jalen back out there again, I think speaks a lot to how good Jalen is, right? And obviously we've heard a lot about it for the whole season, about his his vision as a runner and his confidence in that. And and so it, it was fantastic to see that that, was, that got going again. And, and yeah, 27 points, and you left points on the board. And, you know, I, I think you've got to be really, really happy with, with what you saw from Jalen and and again, the great news is that you get to, we get to see it again with the bowl game. We don't have to wait nine months. So that's really the most exciting part, I think. Yeah. I, I need to, to tally up because the offensive line did a good job protecting him, too. Part yeah. of it, too, he was able to scramble sometimes. Um, I want to tally up. I'll, I'll get to this sometime here over the coming weeks or something. How much? How many less tackles for loss and sacks Kansas gave up this year than last season? Last year, they didn't give up many sacks either, but that was more... Um, we're going to play a possession game, run the ball a bunch, and, and stuff like that. This year, they did throw it a good amount, and the offensive line just held up super well. I thought they played really well. Yeah, I mean, I mean, K-State has probably the best pass rush in the Big 12, right? You would think? Yeah, maybe? it's them or Texas. Yeah. And but they have the best pass rusher, for sure. Yes, yes. And, again, the offensive line shined through and had a great game, and they opened up some nice holes. The run game was effective when it needed to be, and... Yeah, I just I don't think you can say enough about the offensive line and just how consistently solid they've been week in and week out this whole season, right? Like, have they been your best unit on the, of, out of your whole team every week? No, but they've been so consistent, so solid, and as a unit, they've just been. You had Dominic Pooney breaking out right uh, from coming over from D two, and and obviously Mike Davitsky and Robostic, and just just the consistency. And I mentioned earlier in the show, right. The offensive line is one of those position groups where if you're not talking about them, that's a great thing because mm -hmm. that means they are doing their job and they're doing it well, right? And we have not had to talk about the offensive line very much uh, in that way because they've just been so good all, all season long. Um, Jared Casey, awesome once again. I thought yeah. he was like an MVP of the game. Four catches. I think he had 23 yards. Doesn't pop out to you, but he had the one big like fourth down catch. Yep. Again, like keen big blocks for the outside. Kind of goes back to the Big 12 award conversation. Again, he's just he's like an MVP of this team, even though he didn't get awarded anything. Yeah, he's just, he's just like the 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 every man's MVP, right? The guy that just does the dirty work, never asks for credit, never gets upset when nobody uh you know points out what a great job he's doing. He just 
He just he just goes out and just does his does does his thing, man. Week yeah. in and week out. And they need him to because it feels like it feels like every player, every single skill player is dealing with some sort of injury right yeah. now yeah. for Kansas football, which I mean, good thing that you're going to have 3 weeks off before the bowl game. Yeah, I mean, the running back room was down to literally Tory Lachlan at one point and nobody else, right? Which which by the way, Tory Lachlan played really really well, I thought. He had outside the touchdown of the fumble, run. Yes. Yeah, yeah, outside of the fumble. He had, he had the touchdown run. He he great looked, stiff arm on yes, that. Yes. He looked really really good and and again, that even kind of circles back to that discussion we've had, uh, you know, way back in the preseason about the depth of the of the running back room, and I, maybe it wasn't as on display as much the season as we thought it might be. But obviously, Daniel Highshaw goes down with this with the season ending, what we think is a season ending injury. Kai Thomas battles injuries quite a bit. Savion Morrison maybe wasn't as effective later in the season as he was earlier in the season. Obviously, Devin Neal was consistent, but then Troy Lachlan comes in, and you know, there's nobody else behind him. He's the guy. <laughs> and he played pretty well, uh, and obviously in, in a huge game as well. So uh, hats off to to Tory Lachlan. And, and like you said, Luke Grimm came up uh, hobbling off after a catch in the K State game. We know he's been kind of dealing with some stuff throughout the season. Uh, you know, Devin Neal is just he's a workhorse guy. I'd like to see him get some time off. And then uh, we we mentioned this off air, but Daniel Highshaw, his injury that he suffered back in the first mm-hmm. of October, it's about a two to three month injury. So I don't know if if it's even a possibility or if it's even on anybody's radar that he might have a chance to maybe come back for the bowl game. I don't know. That's something we might have to, you know, ask one of the coaches or ask Lance Leipold about or something. But I mean, that could be something pretty interesting, right? And then Savion Morrison, you assume will be good. Tory Lock or Tory Lachlan, obviously, and then Kai Thomas as well. So yes, it'll be really nice to see a lot of those guys hopefully get back to almost full strength ahead of the bowl game. Yeah, I, I think a lot of them, too, are, are probably injuries where maybe that two or three weeks off could be enough to be fresh. And I think we saw how much more fresh Kansas was in, like, the Oklahoma State game and how much that helped them. Oh, yeah. I, I think there's going to be a really explosive-looking offense uh, off of this time off for the bowl game for Kansas. Plus, you have the—you never know, like, there's always the teams in the bowl games who don't take it as seriously— or maybe don't care about as much, or you have a lot of players on the other team who opt out, right? KU's going to care. And also, KU's not at a point where they have a bunch of guys who are going to be first, second, third-round picks where they're just like, I'm going to skip the bowl game and then work on the NFL draft. Um, Yeah. But yeah, you're right. I mean, it was just, they were without so many guys, and I think that was another piece of that game that we hadn't really totally discussed either in that even Devin Neal, like, clearly he wasn't 100%, but he he was powering through it. Like that would have been a great game to have Kai Thomas or Daniel Highshaw or Savion Morrison. And with Kai Thomas and Savion Morrison, like that wasn't something where I, I feel like their injuries just occurred over like the well, long I haul or maybe Savion in practice. Morrison had, I think Savion Morrison was sick, if I remember right. Or okay. Had an illness. Was that what it was? I think so. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't remember them. I don't, I don't know. Like what, having a game where it's like, oh, they got, you know, carted off the field or not carted off, like helped off the field. Yeah, I don't know what was up with Kai Thomas. If I remember right, I, I think Savion Morrison had, was dealing with an illness. That makes sense. Um, but yeah, with Daniel Highshaw, that was something that honestly I had completely like. Yeah, I we, just, mentioned like it, we mentioned pushed it, off, it off in my mind to be like, oh, he's out for the year. We'll see him again next year, hopefully. Yeah. Um, and that you bring it up, yeah, it was October first. He suffered the injury, so you're looking at one month to November, one month to get to tomorrow, December first. So now you're looking at basically eight or nine weeks, and then you have another three weeks till the bowl game. That'd be about twelve weeks. Maybe you would just say, hey, should we really risk it with him with this injury? You know, it's just one bowl game. We'll just let him get fully healthy in the offseason. But 
if it was something where it wasn't truly just, hey, he's done for the year no matter what, and it was like, no, it's like a 10- to 12-week thing, maybe you could have him out there, and that'd be kind of cool to see. Yeah, but I, I definitely don't think there's any question, though. If it's like a questionable to play him or if yeah. you're not quite sure, no, like don't definitely, yeah, exactly. You definitely don't want to run the risk of it because obviously he was, he was a great power back for Kansas early in the season, but it's not like he's the type of guy that you want to try to rush back and maybe potentially have something happen. And and, and obviously, furthermore, you know, with a running back, obviously you're going to be taking hits, right? <laughs> you know, it's one thing if it's a different position, but from the running back position, you're going to be taking hits if you're getting the ball. So, yeah, it's definitely a situation where, like, if there's even any sort of question, I would say don't worry about it until next season because I think, like you were just pointing out, probably most – Jayhawk fans' mindsets is, oh, he's going to be out for the season, right? So it's like, it's not even, it wasn't even really in the realm of possibility, you didn't think. But so, yeah, but it is an interesting kind of idea or thought. Yeah. And also, because you have guys who should be getting more healthy, there'd be less of a yeah. concern to be like, hey, we need him to come out there because you would think Kai Thomas, Savion Morris, and Devin Neal would be a lot more healthy for the game. Yeah, for sure. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. That's our KU Offensive Notebook. We're going to take a timeout. When we come back, we got some Brandon Schneider audio. This is RCST.